Welcome to Michael Easley in Context. For more information, go to michaelincontext.com. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. I've always been struck with 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Most people appeal to this chapter because we have a church, a small church, taking a donation and sending it back to the mother church in Acts. And Paul writes about it in this way. He says, in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. There's about three different things going on in the grammar there. I love it. In ordeal of affliction, abundance of joy, deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of liberality. We're talking today to Chris Brown. Thanks, Chris, for your time. Oh, thank you. Now, Chris is new to the Ramsey Solutions team. He is a nationally syndicated radio talk show host. He's been a pastor, a speaker, and now he's focusing on stewardship and intentional living through the radio broadcast called True Stewardship. Your ministry has been a campus pastor you started out? I did. I did, yep. Yeah, I was minding my own business, uh, being a uh, real estate broker in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh-huh. and I was attending Elevation Church um, yeah, right there in Charlotte. And we were running about 500 people, and the lead pastor kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, did you know that like 300 out of 500 people that are here are because of you? Do you have the gift of gab or you just have a heart and passion for the church? And he didn't say it was your handsome looks. I don't know what it was, <laughs> but I'm telling you, I was passionate about this church and uh, an amazing church that's you know very large now. But uh, he said, I really do. I want to investigate with the call of God in your life, a full-time ministry. Mm-hmm. And um, he took me under his wing, uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick, and uh, discipled me and uh, put 5,000 books in front of me and took yeah. me around the country to learn and there you go. And so next thing I know, I'm a campus pastor. So it was pretty crazy. So seven years, you were in North Carolina and Florida. Yep. Ordained in 2007. Mm-hmm. You're married and you have three small children and now you call Franklin home. Mm-hmm. Chris, um, we talk about stewardship a lot. Ramsey Solutions does. Dave Ramsey does on his show. We even do on In Context. We talk about finances and stewardship and how we utilize the stuff God gives us. Mm-hmm. If you were to distill down your story, when did this kind of come into line for you? to? Go? It's not just time and talent, but it, it is money and how I use these resources that I handle. When did that start coming together for you? Well, I didn't know the actual word stewardship right. as an 11-year-old boy, <laughs> but uh, at 11 years old, uh, I can remember sitting down in an apartment complex. Um, it was completely empty. There was nothing in it, just me and my mom. And I can remember staring out the wow. window uh, on this birthday and wishing that it looked much differently. I was hoping for bounce houses and presents and mm. laughter and, and friends over and maybe some ice cream cake, but instead I was sitting there in silence uh, wondering why am I here? What does this look like? Hmm. Um, lots of family violence in the home. And I'm wondering what is something's wrong. I looked over to, uh, you know, to the left and my mom was silently leaning over the kitchen counter. And, uh, hmm. I remember fixing my young eyes on her face and <laughs> she had this look of ridiculous hopelessness hmm. as an 11 year old boy. I'm like, there's gotta be another way. This is a disaster. I've had three violent fathers. We were sleeping, um, you know, in the backseat of a car, uh, in abuse shelters, um, you know, oftentimes even sleeping under a bridge. And this is just not normal. Something went wrong here. So at that age and that kind of childhood is where this was birthed. 
And then I went through middle school, went through high school, got married. We, my wife and I are just killing it financially. We paid off our student loans fast, no car payments. We're both making pretty good income. Um, and we're just killing it. And mm-hmm. then I got cocky and decided to over-invest in real estate. Uh, I flipped a home and it made 20 or 30 grand. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm going to do this again. I'm going to do this again. And it was like, this is awesome. Well, why would I want to do one house at a time? Let's do eight at a time. Let's go borrow a million dollars. I borrowed a million dollars. The year was 2007. Oh, boy. Yes. And so I paid mortgage payments on eight vacant homes all the way to January of 2011 until that had to be fun. I hit rock bottom. So this whole idea of stewardship has been fostered as 11 year old, as an adult, I hit rock bottom. Uh, I got away from biblical concepts on how to fan, uh, handle money and it killed me. And then I've reinstituted and got my heart right in this area and it's mm-hmm. working again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you take in the pastor element of helping people through this. I know the number one cause of divorce in America is money fights and money problems. And what's holding the church back is people don't have any margin in their life to be able to do anything mm-hmm. they intend. So you throw all that together in this big, huge quiche. <laughs> if you want to call it that. Yeah. That's why I'm so passionate about stewardship. When you were going through the, the 2007 and following, how did you and your wife get along? Mm, you know what? God has really um, uh, blessed me with... Um, a tremendous wife. I, I'm trying to think through, is it me? Is it her? Is it just God's grace? Of course, God's grace and his hand is on it, but we have really uh, had a very healthy marriage through all of it. Uh, the, That's pretty amazing. The particular decision to borrow a million dollars was all me and not her. And she didn't say, hey, wait a minute, Chris. And she's in playfully has okay. said several times, I told you not to buy because there's really one big one that really got me. It was a 3,800 square footer where the payment was $2,800 a month and I could never find a a, 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 a renter or a, a somebody to buy it. And it, that one really, that really got us. Um, but she's she's alluded to it. I told you, Proverbs 31 woman, she's playing being funny, but uh, I admit it. I, I was the idiot. And so, you know, uh, you know, you got to, you gotta own up to it. Mm. And so I got, that's why I say I got cocky, not we, we did well. I got cocky. But during the time you were watching your, your bank balance go down to nothing, mm-hmm. um, no stress in the marriage. Uh, no, she just was, that's remarkable. Yeah. She was amazing. Yeah. And, uh, I'm very vulnerable. Anyone who's, who's listened to me talk, I'll tell you all of our shortfalls. Um, and I'm actually too vulnerable, I think sometimes, but our marriage has been amazing. Uh, from day one and which which is an anomaly because most mm-hmm. couples in financial jeopardy it's you know blame game and yeah and, and you know your credit card versus my credit card your checkbook my checkbook yeah Cindy's yeah. in my world we were we were just too stupid and scared to borrow money uh-huh. and um, we never had the someone told us early on never have your and her checkbook have our checkbook yep it's our money working no matter who's working who's making more or less or if Cindy for a period wasn't working um, I mean she was <laughs> Boy, I better reach. Re, re, I probably should just leave that alone and just do mea culpa. She was working in different capacities, raising three and four children at one time. Yeah. But she wasn't working outside the home. Yeah. And then when she started doing that, now I got money. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, it's pretty rare to have a marriage that you don't have some fight along the way about. Yeah, because I've done stupid, other stupid things too. With like, I'll just come home with a car out of nowhere without asking her. Like, I've done some a lot of those things, and she's just been very graceful. Now. The, the broadcast you're doing now, are you seeing some trends in calls? These are the top two, three things I'm getting asked. 
Yeah, the, one of the big ones is uh, I want to get on board with all this Dave Ramsey stuff. I mm-hmm. want to get on board with uh, handling our finances uh, a biblical way. How do I get my spouse on board? That's a big one. Mm-hmm. That's probably well, the back big... to our question. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. exactly you know. Uh, so that's a big one. Another one would be um, uh, folks asking the wrong questions. They're asking about investment questions before they get out of debt. By the way, go back to your first one. Yeah. Uh, is it more men than women who are reluctant? Uh, yeah, it's men. Okay. Uh, women are, are like, how do I get my husband on board? He's okay. either A, apathetic, uh, B, in denial, or or C, he wants to outspend his stupidity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's usually what it is. And usually my advice is, um, it depends on a lot of the variables, but is is you're not going to win with nagging him. You've got to inspire him. You've got to call it out in him. Mm-hmm. Things that he doesn't even see yet. Of course, we see that in the scriptures. But I that's what, what Holly did for me. Why, why do you think men, and, and this has been my experience too, 35 years of pastoring, uh, men are just, you know, when it comes to money, mm-hmm. it's almost like counseling. Honey, you go to counseling. Yeah. Why are they so uh, willing to go into debt, A, Yeah. and B, unwilling to say some common sense? It'd be a lot easier if I didn't have these payments hanging over my head. Yeah, I think whether it's men with finances or women with their, their struggles, okay. the root of it is just pride. It's it, men are thrive off respect. Women thrive off security. And if respect is the deal, then you've got to, you, you, um, jeopardize a little bit of the respect if you admit that you are not sufficient. And so I think with insecurity and pride, it can create some issues where you don't want to admit fault. Mm-hmm. And of course the temptation to have things is where, rough. Where I mean, does, um, and I differentiate, maybe use different language between consumer and consumerism, because mm-hmm. we're all consuming. When the gas I put in my car yesterday, I'm consuming it. The food I eat, the electricity, we're consumers. We have to be. Yeah. But consumerism, mm-hmm. this idea of bigger, better, newer, more, uh, the newest iPhone that has come out, the newest piece of technology, the newer model car, whatever our our lust is, I yeah. got to have that thing. What do you observe? And, and we can talk about men and women. Why is the consumerism such a temptation for us mm. at a foundational level the, we have a belief system that is either entitled or content we have a spirit of contentment that god is enough and that our relationships are enough and we're so thankful for what god has given us and we recognize the fact that all this stuff regardless is not ours it's do, god's do you think you've got to be a certain age before you get to that point no no i think you can learn that early okay. i think you can learn that real early um I've been very inspired by 15-year-olds in here that walk in, walk, walk into our office and and they they get it. They mm. know Psalm 24:1 that the earth, that mm. all that contain everything it contains, it's all God's. It's not ours, and that we're supposed to be managers of all that. First Corinthians chapter four verse two says that those who've been entrusted to be managers must prove faithful. And I, I whether 15 or 80, uh, folks know that, and some folks don't. And that belief system leads to a different set of actions, which leads to a different set of results. We've got, I mean, you and, and Rachel Cruz and others could speak to this for hours, but we've got a, how many in America have got college loans in excess of 50, 80 grand? Yeah. The average is over $30,000. 30,000. Yeah. And what, do we have an idea of how many in our country? Uh, no, I don't, I don't know that stat, but it's, it's tremendous. I, the amount of folks who are graduating from college uh, without student loans is minuscule. It is unheard of. Like, when I teach a young adult ministry of our church from time to time, and I got to know some of these young men and women, and I don't think I met one 
who wasn't toting college loans. Yeah. And, and then some of them even a graduate degree, a physical therapist, young woman that I love, 90 grand That's brutal. in student loans. And even if she gets a job at 95 or 100 a year, mm-hmm. which would be huge for a starting PT, yeah. do the math. That's going to take her forever to pay off. And, yeah. and you sit there and watch them and go, I, I know I shouldn't have done it. I've listened to Dave Ramsey, but. Yeah, exactly. No, and we need to understand education is a very, very good thing. It is, but it is a luxury. This secondary, this education beyond high school is, it's a luxury. It's just like, just, you know, plug in another word, like a car, a fancy car or into the sentence of, I want to go to school. It's, I want to go, it's a luxury. It, and so when you're saying, I'm going to take out $20,000 a year for this luxury, it's, it, it's what it is. You, you don't do it until you can afford it. I've made the observation. In fact, I used to do commencement messages and, um, so forth with three boxes and I mm-hmm. would I would have three boxes on stage where they couldn't see what I'd written and the first box was the story of their grandparents um you know they they save everything they I mean my dad never, we 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 fixed a toaster uh. you know a $10 we took it apart and welded the mica back together I mean he, wow. we, we never bought anything new we fixed everything the only thing he ever called a repairman for was air conditioning Okay. Everything yep. else we figured out. Right. Uh, I grew up that way, so I didn't know any different. Yeah. So I, I used the acronym on the back of that box. We made do with what we had. Yeah. Now, their children then, the message they got was, we survived the depression, so we want you to go to college, mm-hmm. get an education. And the subliminal message was, or sometimes literal, we want you to have it better than we did. Mm. So my parents were big on education. Now, we didn't borrow you know, we didn't take money out. I worked two jobs to go to college. My brother got a scholarship. My sister worked part-time. So we all went to college working our way through. Mm-hmm. And um, and we were afraid of debt in the main. But then without thinking through it, I told my children implicitly, you need to have it better than us. Yeah. And then this idea of going to college, which has become sort of a checkbox, you got to do it. Yep. Now, you, we can talk about state and you know, community versus Ivy and so right. forth. But point being, so then I would turn that box around and said, we have it better than you. Mm-hmm. And then I would challenge the younger audiences and I would just talk about, you know, what do you want in life? And I turned around with a question mark. I said, what do you want? And it's been my observation that they are still, they're, they're a hybrid consumerism culture. They don't wear it like we do. You're younger than me, but they don't, they don't wear it in their cars or in their homes. They wear it in their technology they wear it in their in their clothing. Yeah. And they wear it in their haircuts, you know, things like that. Any I mean, if I if I prattle along there, any observation you have about how this has changed culturally and age? Well, I think you nailed it on uh, on the head when you said that it isn't just about the millennials. It's 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 something that it, it transcends among all the different generations and it just manifests itself in a different way. Mm. Let's take for instance an 80-year-old Okay, an 80-year-old can be very entitled. Why can they be entitled? Because they've had control of their schedule for years. And so they're entitled about their routine. Mm. They're going to eat at that restaurant at 4 o'clock. They're going to... No, wait a minute. You're meddling now. <laughs> <laughs> they've got... They've, they've, they're, they're entitled to their routine. And they're entitled to their afternoon tea on the front porch, whatever it might be. But it just looks different. And so I'm I'm always trying to be careful not to, um, you know, uh, wave my finger at the millennial generation because they're not any more entitled than me. I, when I'm going through the airport and um, there's a delay, a flight delay... I'm like, do they not understand that I'm going to speak to a lot of people here? And I'm like, 
I'm going to be in a tube at 30,000 feet right. going several hundred miles an hour on Wi-Fi. And I'm entitled that I have to be able to do that. It's bananas. And so I think we... You could, you could take medication for that. <laughs> yes. That I think we all have pockets of entitlement. Yeah. And it's not just the millennial generation. But I do say, I, th- I think all of us, going back to the student loans, uh, there is an entitlement that we all deserve college. That's it, not, not the way it is. You go to college if you can afford it. Well, and we're finding out now that those college degrees, unless it's medicine or engineering or something that's pretty precise, they're not what they once were. No. Uh, Unfortunately. It's, yeah, it's gotten a little bit watered down, especially on the bachelor arena. Um, and really on the master's arena, if you don't have the experience to go with a master's, your master's is useless. Uh, I know of lots of friends that have got a master's. They can't find a job at mm-hmm. master's level. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, the the... the for me, for instance, uh, I've got a, a degree in, in business administration and a minor in Bible. And all the places that I've worked over the last 15 years, no one's ever asked me about my degree. Mm-hmm. I went in and I wanted to produce value for an organization. I went in there with intensity that I want to win and I want to create value for the community and serve people well. And they were drawn to that. And like, oh, and do you have a degree? It's like an afterthought. Mm-hmm. And so there's so much focus on the education, which education is great. And I know we're getting a little off basis, but... Yeah. Uh, there's too much focus on that and not focus on being a very valuable asset to an organization. The, the challenge that and you know, we have four children ages 31 to 20 and the generational differences between our two older and two younger is, um, I, I mean, it's completely different mm-hmm. and completely different what the 31 and the 26 year old experience versus the 21 and 20 year old experience. And the two younger ones didn't want to do college. They tried and it wasn't for them. Yeah. But the reality is when they go to get a job, there still is a difference mm-hmm. with that sheepskin. Now, and I'm, I'm a proponent of education, Yeah. but it's always that. And I've heard Dave say this many times, state schools, community college, you know, doing it online part-time, there's all kinds of ways to avoid debt. But, um, it also, it's the rare person who can, you know, go and do it on his own, work two part-time jobs like I did. Did you work through college? I did. I yeah. worked the entire way. Yeah, and so did I. Yeah. Our average income in our house was $11,000 a year. Yeah. And my college was $14,000 a year. Yep. And so through scholarships, through working my tail off, um, I didn't get a dime from mom. Well, most state schools today are still under 20, correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, it's manageable. You can work full-time in the summer, work over spring break, work over, you yeah. know, you can do it if you want. I've done some it, fun things. Yeah, but it's the outlier who does it. Yeah. Um, looking forward to New Year's. Um, we all make New Year's resolutions. I, I, I read uh, Wesley's New Year's resolutions and John Owens and get very depressed because these guys were so ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> I say like two or three. Um, but you've got some thoughts about uh, – it's a new month, a new year. Perhaps you got credit cards from December expenses. Tick them off. Yeah, I think, you know, wherever you're at in your journey, you've got to go back to Proverbs 29, 18, that where there is no vision, the people perish. You got to ask yourself, what do you want in five years? What do you want in three years? What do you want at the end of this year? And then you got to create some goals and then create some benchmarks, work your way backwards. And then what does that mean for this month? And then go a little further with the budget, obviously. Then break it down even further. What does that mean with this decision? Do I need to go to the movies then? Mm-hmm. Do I need to make sure I, I do I go into the, do I even walk through that neighborhood because I know I'm going to lust after those houses? Yeah. Um, it goes down because if you weigh everything towards the vision, of course, another version says you cast off restraint. That's exactly right. what we're doing. We're walking into, uh, into, um, into a car dealerships or a mortgage office or uh, a, the store or the mall, 
and we're casting off restraint because we've lost sight of our vision. I tell people I never need anything until I go to the mall. <laughs> yes. I, I try <laughs> to stay away from oh, the mall. Oh, I need that new shirt. I need a new pair of shoes. I don't. There's nothing to compare against. Yep. I would love to do a study. How many mall visits versus the amount spent? Like do that. A study for the last 24 months in my life. Because I bet you it's a very significant difference. Well, and online shopping. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm guilty of, you know, on my Amazon Prime account during commercials yeah. of a show, I'm guilty of looking, yeah. shopping, trying to and save a nickel. now the mall nickel. comes to you. Yeah, exactly. And with yeah. Prime, I don't have to leave the house, right? <laughs> it just shows up in two days. Yes, it's becoming more and more convenient. So if, if that's becoming more and more convenient, uh, we need to be very cognizant to make the repairs more convenient with our budgeting processes. And To, to your point about yeah. a vision, though, for the believer in Christ, the heart of the believer is where help me where do I find that contentment mm-hmm. that uh, a man's life does not consist in the acquisition of stuff? Yeah, we've got to be really careful at um, what we expose ourselves to. Uh, for instance, number one would be staying out of the malls. So it's the exposure of what you're in. So not only do you have to cut out some exposure, you've got to increase some of the other exposure. Okay. You've got to remind yourself of you know those 2,350 verses about the uh, about money, according to Howard Dayton. I right, haven't counted right, them personally. Right. Um, um, about the about money in the Bible, and so we've got to familiarize ourselves with what God's way of handling money. We got to think through what does it look like to bring glory to God's name with our finances. How would He want us to um, handle our finances? So you go back to the scriptures, Proverbs twenty one twenty. In the house of the wise is choice food and oil. So okay, I need to make sure I so, uh, I save because the tail end of that verse says, "But fools gulp it down." And so many of us are doing that. We're gulping it down, whether it be with a Starbucks latte right. or whether it be with something else. You go to Proverbs thirteen twenty two. a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So you think about saving and you think about uh, investing for the next generation. Um, so you got to go back to the scriptures and ask yourself, how does God want us to, mm-hmm. to spend money? And then you go to the, um, when it comes to debt, you know, the car payment of $175 doesn't seem like a big deal. But if you go to Proverbs 22, 7, it says the borrower is enslaved to the lender. And you go to Romans 13, 8, and it says to, to owe no one anything except for to love, love one and another. And so if you look at it through those, it just changes your decision making. It changes your everyday decisions. And when we do change our belief system, it will change our actions and it will yield different results. That's what we're looking for. So those, you know, folks, if you're listening in and you're having a battle with this contentment thing, listen, just douse yourself in environments that point you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. We all need accountability in our lives. Who's that accountability partner in your life? Uh, and not in an accusatory way, but someone who's going to challenge you. Those of you in college, this is not your broke, broke, <laughs> broke roommate. This is someone who's going to push <laughs> you in the right direction and with a heart of love. What else would you tell them? New Year's resolutions. Mm. Well, um, for me, I always start off when I'm going into news resolutions, looking at the prior year and talking about my regrets. I don't stay there long because mm-hmm. I think I don't think the Lord wants us to to look at the past and, and just bake in it. But I think we need to learn from it. And so I'm like, what would I would have done better? Would I be? Uh, and for me, I look at the wheel of life and I like how how well did I do socially? How well did I do with my marriage or relationships? If you're not married, uh, how well did I do with my parenting? And I just where do I want to improve? Did I communicate well enough with my kids? Uh, did I communicate well enough with my spouse? And I look at the seven and I create a, a goal. Uh, for each one of those um, uh, pieces of my leadership uh, with my career or personal development um, when it comes to my health. 
that's usually the most convicting one for sure. But uh, that's for me. I create one goal in each mm-hmm. one of those areas, and one that's measurable, uh, one that's specific. So it's not just do I want to lose 20 pounds. It's I want to lose 20 pounds uh, in what amount of time. Right. Um, and it's not just I want to lose weight. you got to make sure it's specific, that it's measurable. Make sure it's yours. It's not your spouse's. It's not your uncle's. It's not your father-in-law. Um, and you want to make sure that um, it has a time limit on it. And you want to make sure it's in writing. Uh, put it on the refrigerator. You know, and, and Dave stresses that a lot, and I've stressed that a lot over the yeah. years on personal development goals. Writing something down, um, for years, I glued my personal development goals in front of my Bible. Mm-hmm. And, and I would start out, and I would look at them, not every day, yeah, but consistently, and go, okay, how am I doing on that one? And, and something else that I've learned, and perhaps you have as well, is I tend to set one or two goals now, in fact, more than that, that only God can accomplish. Mm, a stretching goal. Meaning because yeah. I'm a pretty disciplined guy. If, if I want to lose 20 pounds, I'll do it. In fact, right now I'm on this crazy new diet and I've lost two pounds in about the last six days. And so it's not anything really hard for me. And I'm okay. just, because I'm going, I've got to get 10, 15 off. I've gotten lazy. Yeah. Um, but not all, not everyone is that way. Yeah. And what I found was if you are disciplined and you can check off the, the smart, the attain, specific, attainable, measurable, so forth, if you can do a goal like that, great for you. Most people can't. So I went to the different angle to say, how can I put a goal out there that if it's accomplished, God help me? Yeah. It the, wasn't just that I was a little more disciplined with my checkbook yep. or my time or my diet, but the Lord really helped me on this. Yeah, I love that because we want to leverage these goals in our progress in life by creating more intimacy with the creator. And so if you know that God came through and that only God can do it, um, just reaching your goals just for earthly goals ah, has such little significance. But if we know that we grew closer to God because of it, and now we can brag on him, right. and now we can give him the glory instead of us. I, I didn't do this in the flesh. Yeah. Yeah, I said it out there. I prayed about it. But, you know, this... Uh, one that I share with pastors a lot because a lot of pastors live with a knot in their stomach, a lot of anxiety in the ministry. And I have this uh, this modicum I use about a non-anxious presence mm-hmm. and to walk into a meeting or to walk into this a pulpit or to walk into a counseling appointment where you know there's tension or whatever is, Lord, I want to have a non-anxious presence. Mm. And the the end of that story is the only way I'll get there is if you help me. Yeah. And the only ones that will know are you and me? Yeah. Because no one else can really tell if I'm anxious in a meeting yeah. or anxious when I'm going into some situation. And I find the the uh, unquantifiable stuff of the spiritual life is where I think, and back to your earlier point, I think if we understood that more than just how much I spend or what I how my budget's written out, yeah. what's the intangible side of this? Why is it important yeah. that we're content, that we live within our means, that we're generous people, that we're not enslaved to debt? Why are those things important? Yeah, that's so good. And just uh, from my perspective, uh, I'm a pretty discerning person. And this interaction with you and you coming in and us having this conversation, I felt like you've had a very non-anxious spirit. I feel like you're all in here. <laughs> uh, you're not out the door. I feel like we're engaged in a great conversation. So just to give you a little bit of courage there. Uh, and that, you said that was a God-sized goal. Uh, so I'm going to give God yeah. the glory for that. God's given you that. So that's great. But, um, you know, th- th- this whole idea, um, I said all that and I forgot your question. <laughs> Perfect. is what I do all the time. So, so when we look at these, these non-measurable things yeah. like contentment and not having anxiety and being generous and, and the values that we extol, yeah. Yeah. how do we help people get there mm-hmm. 
beyond checking a box for a budget, mm. checking a box for yeah. getting out of that, checking a box for um, not going to Starbucks as often. Yeah. Uh, Simon Sinek has a great book, said, uh, start with the why. And everything that we do, it needs to be less about the what and more about the why. Why? And I try to do this on the radio show all the time. It's not necessarily about paying off that Home Depot credit card. It's deeper than that. I mean, you know, many of us um, have probably raised our hand before in church and said, I want to sign up for the baptism event. Uh, I want to go volunteer or I want to go to the missions trip or I want to go on the serving Saturday or the community event or whatever. But the bottom line is on Monday when it goes time to actually sign up for it or do it, you don't, you can't because we're intentioned for ministry, but we're not positioned for ministry Mm -hmm. and being intentioned for ministry is nothing without being positioned for ministry. So whatever your goal is, whatever it is, whether it's in health or whether it's personal development, whatever whatever sector of life it is, we got to go back to the why. Whatever that goal is, it's probably, I don't know your goals, but it's going to put you in a better position so that you can be the hands and feet of Jesus. You got to go back to the why. You, and that's the intangible. That's the it's not about paying off that credit card. It's not about uh, being more friendly in that one conversation. Actually, for you, it's not even about you being all in in this conversation right now. It's about you having the emotional margin enough to be able to pick up on things that God's telling you. Mm-hmm. That God's giving you stuff right now. You don't have a script here in front of us. This is all Holy Spirit led. And it's because you have enough margin in your life that you can tune into the spirit and you're having a relationship mm-hmm. with God. That's what the why is behind you having that goal. And, uh, folks, I don't know what, you know, what it is, if it's getting a B in your class or getting, but it's, it's deeper than that. You want to be successful because not for your glory, for God's glory and everything we do well, that we're, we're opening ourselves up to being in a better spot, um, for us to be used by God. I heard years ago that, um, the reward of work is not the end of work, but the work itself. Yes. And, uh, my dad was, uh, an example of that, a hardworking man, never made a lot of money, but he valued work. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, whether it's been these boxes I referenced uh-huh. or what we've unintended consequences of, of I mean, Cindy and I live a very comfortable life mm-hmm. and uh, she works full time as a realtor now and I work full time as a pastor and we make a very comfortable life. We can do whatever we want. Yeah. We can give generously, we can go, we can eat out as often as we want. Our budget is fine, our money is fine, and God's great kindness at this chapter of my life. I mean, the economy can go upside down, Yeah. but we're positioned, if earthquakes don't happen, yeah. uh, we will do fine by our marriage, by our, our finances, by our children, um, and even a little bit for grandchildren. And when if you'd have told me that as a pastor, mm-hmm. when I was making $22,000 a year, when I started out in 1984, whatever it was, mm-hmm. uh, no way. Yeah. So we we weren't Dave Ramsey. We didn't turn real estate and make millions and lose it. We just plodded along mm. faithfully with what God gave us. And, and that's one of my hopes is folks will get is, you know, comparison is the kiss of death of gratitude. Yeah. If I compare my lifestyle to you or you compare your lifestyle to me or if someone compares their lifestyle to Dave Ramsey or Donald Trump or anyone with wealth. Yeah. It's a pretty maddening circle. Mm-hmm. But if, if we get to that place where we say, I can be content in poverty or wealth, Paul said, right? Yeah. Riches or poverty. Um, but this is the day he's given me. And how do I find that position? Okay, I got this much bread. What do I do with it? Mm-hmm. What do you tell somebody? What wow. do you do with what you have right now? Because you can't fix it in six months or maybe a year. Yeah. What do you do right now? Mm. Well, if you keep that spirit of gratitude and thankfulness, uh, you remember the depravity of your soul before you met Jesus, 
you also, um, the depravity of the emotional state that you were in the past, maybe it's some kind of relational thing that happened. If you can stay tremendously uh, grateful, um, that helps you. That helps you with that. And it keeps you from looking to the right. It keeps you from looking to the left. And you just compare yourself. I, I do think comparison is a good thing, but not to other people. You're comparing yourself against who you were yesterday. And you're comparing yourself of what God wants Am for I you. Am I any more like Christ this year? Yes. Yeah. yeah, like who you are yesterday compared to what God wants for you in the future. And are you progressing? Rome wasn't built in a day, and you're not going to be either. Just are you progressing? And don't feel condemned that you're not there yet. None of us are there yet. Um, I, I battle all that condemning and guilt and all that stuff all the time. And the Holy Spirit has to smack me around a little bit and say, don't feel the guilt. Feel a little bit of conviction, but not <laughs> guilt. But none of us are there yet. Define true stewardship for me in one sentence. True stewardship is managing God's blessings, God's way for God's glory. Chris Brown, host of True Stewardship, heard on many networks. Hope you'll check it out through Ramsey Solutions. Chris, thanks for being on In Content. Oh, thank you so much. It was an honor. Subscribe to our newsletter for the latest news and information. This is Michael Easley in Context. Don't let the world teach you theology. Theology.